Voting opens today in Scotland to determine uh, who will succeed Nicola Sturgeon as leader of the SNP, a.k.a. the Scottish National Party. It, of course, came as a shock when the Scottish uh, First Minister announced her resignation back in February. And here's a snippet of what she had to say. I am proud to stand here as the first female and longest-serving incumbent of this office. And I'm very proud of what has been achieved in the years I've been in Butte House. However, since my very first moments in the job, I have believed that part of serving well would be to know almost instinctively when the time is right to make way for someone else. And when that time came, to have the courage to do so, even if to many across the country and in my party, it might feel too soon. In my head and in my heart, I know that time is now. As with uh, Jacinda Ardern, big shoes to fill. So to give us a sense of who might be stepping into them and what this will mean for Scotland, we're joined once again by Leslie Riddick. Leslie is one of Scotland's best-known commentators and broadcasters, and it's my great pleasure to welcome her back. Leslie, what was your initial reaction when Sturgeon announced her resignation? Well, well, total, total shock. I mean, I think everybody was the same. Nobody saw it coming. And in fact, as you say, um, when Jacinda Ardern had resigned... Uh, just a, maybe a couple of weeks earlier, lots of people had put to Nicola Sturgeon, are you still game for this? Have you still got the energy to keep going? Have you still got enough in the tank? And at that point, she replied, absolutely, I've got enough in the tank. You know, I'm not thinking about standing down. So I suppose that gave people even more of a shock in that they had so recently been assured <laughs> that none of the same fatigue was creeping in. Although you've got to say that in life generally, People have to kind of, you know, make the appearance that they're keeping going just to keep everyone off your back until the moment that you actually decide you're going to make a different move. A towering figure in Scottish politics. Uh, she totally has been. And I mean, the fact that I'm even on speaking to you across the world <laughs> about this wee woman uh, is quite something. Um, I think if you stay a lot in Scotland, you don't maybe get the full impact of her sort of international clout. I remember being in Reykjavik in Iceland for a conference, uh, the first one that she came and spoke at. And uh, she was the keynote speaker along with Ban Ki-moon, who I think was General Secretary of the UN at the time. At the end of her speech, there was a queue out the door practically to come up and actually speak and shake hands with her. And poor Ban Ki-moon was kind of standing on his own. So she had she has considerable presence. She's a working class woman who has got extraordinary articulacy and sort of emotional intelligence. Her communications during the COVID epidemic were everything Boris Johnson's wasn't. Uh, she was you know, intuitive, empathetic, explained things in words of one syllable such that people could understand and anticipated the points they would push back on. So you got a complete package. I can remember coming back here to my home uh, on one occasion there was a bit of a roadblock created by an oil tanker at one house. 
everyone's doors were open trying to find out from their cars what the blockage was and how we would move on. And every single car was playing the same thing. Nicola Sturgeon on the radio in one of her COVID briefings trying to reassure people about how to live their lives. So sure, she's a massive miss. Both Sturgeon and Ardern hinted at how politics have become personal. It's still pretty tough to be a woman in the top job. Well, it is, and and kind of almost unthinkably so. You know, you begin to get to a stage where you take the contribution from anybody in public life really quite for granted. I think a lot of us, particularly coming back to COVID, when everyone was struggling to kind of motivate themselves to just get up in the morning, we, we were seeing Nicola Sturgeon dressed well, in command of her brief, striding out there to the, the podium every single day without fail, no holidays, no days off. Um, and, and that level of continuity and almost, you know, kind of faith, keeping the faith was was a sort of mutual thing. That's what brought her own personal ratings up so high that she was actually for for many years she has been the most popular politician in Britain despite the fact she's the woman who wants to break up Britain so <laughs> go figure now she wasn't perfect how would you critically assess her record and the problems she inevitably leads behind well i um she had a very very concentrated leadership style uh, by which i mean kind of her her husband, Peter Morell, who was also, who is still the chief executive of the SNP, a lot of countries and parties would think that's a wee bit too cosy and uh, would not want that level of kind of centralisation. But it meant that in contrast, actually, to Alex Salmond, who was quite a delegator, she kept a very close control of the reins, um, which has meant really that policy has been essentially very much governed by her outlook, which is a cautious one. I mean, she was trained as a lawyer and in a way she's got that lawyer's way of looking at it, very good in argument, but constantly a bit worried about what if and very, very governed by what you can legally do, which in Britain is nothing. Uh, so in terms of independence, she's been a very cautious leader, constantly promising there's going to be a referendum somehow and they're never quite delivering it. Okay, we'll come back to that later, but I think it's fair to say, in fact, I think you've said it, that very little has been achieved for working-class Scotland. Yes. Well, you know, I, this is what, in a way, now we're having this discussion at long last in Scotland, really, as to quite what is feasible, what's been achieved and what could have been achieved I mean, yeah, Britain is the most unequal country in the OECD. So doing a little bit better than the British average is is good, but it's still, you know, it's nothing to write home about. And the question is how much with just devolution you could have done more. So, for example, you know, we have a Scottish child payment, the only one in the UK that sends money directly to the uh, mothers of children over the age of six. That's been hailed by all poverty campaigners as a brilliant way to tackle poverty directly. Uh, we have many things delivered in the public realm, which are privatised in England. You know, everything from water to uh, to to education. Um, so there's quite a number of things that help, if you like, a working class people. However, the the dial the, the numbers on poverty haven't shifted. Some people would say that's because the big blocks control over benefits, for example, and controls over the economy 
are are still retained by Westminster. So I think the jury's out on how much more could have been done. The other thing to say is we have the highest tax rates. We can vary taxes now. So we have the highest tax rates in the UK, in Scotland. Um, that is mostly being put into mitigating benefit cuts from Westminster. I'm talking to the splendid Leslie Riddock. For those who haven't been following it uh, closely, bring us up to speed with what's happened with the push for that second independence referendum. Well, it's been a slow push. Um, um, just to clarify, I mean, I'm a supporter of independence um, and indeed we... A lot of us organised a demonstration here the day that the Supreme Court in, in London made a ruling as to whether or not the Scottish Parliament could hold a lawful referendum of its own people on any subject, but particularly on independence. And it ruled that anything that touches just grazes the notion of parliamentary sovereignty as the supreme organising principle of British life ain't legal. So what it means is that, you know, we think we're in a union of equals here, but we're not. Uh, we think in Scotland that this is a voluntary union, the UK, but you can't leave because you can't leave if you haven't got a legal way to do that. And yet the door was slammed shut, essentially, on any kind of legal way to make a change. And that's important because countries like Spain who objected last time to the idea of Scotland re-entering as an independent country, have since made it clear that the objection would only obtain if we did not have a legal referendum to leave. So that's the kind of catch-22 we're stuck in now. Tell me about the three candidates uh, lining up to replace her. Would you be kind enough to name and shame them? Yeah, well, um, I mean, to be fair to them all, this, you know, Nicola's departure, I think, caught them all on the hop. And the other thing to say is that many people feel some of the most promising talent is in the wrong parliament, because obviously uh, Scotland sends MPs down to Westminster. And the first election that took place after the game-changing events of the first referendum we last spoke in 2014, uh, that fired up a lot of really brilliant people who then became candidates in the first available election, and that was an election to Westminster. So there's a lot of people who I think folk would like to see as potentially the next First Minister in Scotland of the Scottish Parliament who are stuck in the House of Commons and it's hard to shift quickly. So the three who, who can be uh, both SNP leader and First Minister sitting in the Scottish Parliament um, are Ash Regan, who's a 50-year-old. She's the one that uh, has resigned her post, she was community safety uh, minister. She resigned over the Gender Recognition Reform Act. That has been a biggie that has split the independence movement because it gives rights to trans people which have upset uh, feminists and women who think that a, a woman is a biological woman. I hope I haven't shorthanded that in a way that gives you or me trouble. Anyway, um, Ash is the one who is out there for independence and would basically be, be opening negotiations with London if the next election produces 50.1% support for uh, the SNP. Um, Kate Forbes, she, she would have to say Ash Regan is currently third in all polls. Uh, Kate Forbes, who is currently leading, is a kind of controversial figure. She's she's a young woman. She's 33. She's a young mum. She's had a bairn one year ago. 
Um, she was thrust into the deep end when the finance secretary resigned after a scandal in 2020. And with just a couple of hours notice, she walked in, delivered the budget with great aplomb um, and has been finance secretary ever since. Um, she's been quite robust in her exchanges with the third candidate, Humza Yusuf, who is the first Muslim as a cabinet uh, minister in the Scottish government, suggesting that he is the establishment candidate and questioning his record in a variety of government roles that he's held. Who gets to vote? Well, the SNP membership, um, there's a bit of a row on at the moment about quite how big that is. It was around 100,000, which made it actually the third largest party in Britain uh, uh, at the time of the last referendum. It's dwindled since then, and a paper today has the story that only 78,000 ballot papers have been sent out, suggesting there's been quite a lot of people left since then. But, you know, even 78,000, I think, still beats the Lib Dems, who are meant to be the third party of Britain. So it's a large, large membership. And that maybe is the key point about this whole thing. Almost half of Scotland votes for the SNP. We are a varied, varied bunch, like any country. So beneath the kind of veneer of, of agreement that the strong leadership of Nicola Sturgeon created, there were always lots of tensions. And by gum, are they all coming to the surface now? Is after 16 years of SNP, and we've only got seconds left, is there an opportunity for Scottish Labour? There should be. Um, it's not clear if they can take it. Um, their poll ratings are beginning to pick up. But still, I think a lot of people will not forgive them for not having a better stance on just the question of whether or not we should be able to vote on our future. Oh, Leslie, it's a, it's a tangled web, but it's wonderful <laughs> that you've come on to untangle it as well as you did. My guest has been, yet once again, the go-to person on Scottish politics, Leslie Riddick, an award-winning broadcaster, journalist and author. ABC RN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.